Hi, this is Red Cloaks Radio. This is Jesse, joined by my co-host today. Hi, I'm Karen Rose with Boston Red Cloaks. And I'm Martha. And we have a wonderful guest today. We have Massachusetts State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa. It's our pleasure to introduce Representative Lindsay Sabadosa, whose district is First Hampshire, and that includes Northampton, Southampton, Hatfield, and Montgomery. Thank you so much for having me here today. We're very glad to have you back. Here we are at the beginning of a new legislative session and very excited to help bring to people's attention some of the work that you're doing. You are lead on a wonderful piece of legislation that is called an act to require public universities to provide medication abortion. And we've been spending some time talking about telemedicine abortion recently, and we're very excited to hear about this new idea. Yes, I'm actually very excited to be following this piece of legislation. Again, this was something that before I was elected, it was the bill I wanted to file and to be working on. Um, so it's great to see it uh, back in in the legislature um, and to, to build off of the work that happened last session and in other states. The legislation is actually based off a bill that was filed and passed in California. So it is now law and it actually just went into to effect there in January of 2021. So we have um, some good role models and a lot of assistance in helping move this bill. Um, but you know, I before I was elected, I used to spend more time than I unfortunately get to now uh, organizing with some of the students locally. And I do live right near UMass campus, UMass Amherst, um, and we have Smith College right down the road in Mount Holyoke. So lots of lots of young people in the area. And in doing work with them, they brought up this bill. They saw that California was doing it and they wanted to know why we couldn't do it in Massachusetts. The legislation is really simple. It basically requires public colleges and universities to offer medication abortion on campuses. And I think at first blush, uh, people think, well, wow, that seems expensive or difficult, or how are you going to get all of the equipment in to do that? And um, as it turns out, medication abortion, um, as I, I think a lot of the people listening to your podcast might know, but just in case they don't, is, is a very simple procedure. It's a very, very safe procedure. Um, it's generally done within the first uh, 10 weeks, and it's two pills. Um, unfortunately, it has become very, very politicized over the years, and so that has led to a lot of misunderstanding about what it is and sort of uh, a level of fear almost about you know, potential difficulties. But in preparing to file this legislation and talking to other legislators about it, one of the things that's most striking is just how incredibly safe medication abortion is. Um, there are um, there are adverse effects reported at the rate of 0.28%, um, which is safer than things that I imagine a lot of your listeners use, like Claritin or uh, Flunase or any sort of over-the-counter medication. Medication abortion is safer. And so really what we're asking for right now is that colleges provide this service on campus. Um, generally, the first pill is taken in front of your doctor, um, and then the second pill is taken at home. Um, and the reason for the bill is just to improve access. You want students to be able to get health care easily. 
And we've been mapping out right now the travel time and the difficulty that students like over have to face in getting to a clinic. So um, what does it look like if you live at UMass Amherst and need to travel to a clinic in Springfield? How long does it take to get there? If you don't have a car, how long does it take to get there? Um, we're trying to just bring these services to campuses and to make it a little bit easier for folks. You started to speak about the current conditions on campus and any campus for that matter in Massachusetts uh, for people to get if when they find themselves faced with a decision to make what's it what do they have to go through now so I think there's there are two parts to that question some students are going to reach out to health services on campus and if they do that they're going to be referred so that was the conversation that we had with UMass Amherst they said we don't provide the service on campus but we do refer students locally to to different providers so that's great um, and maybe they're finding providers who are closer than the Planned Plan Parenthood Clinic in Springfield, um, which takes about two and a half hours to get to by bus each way. Um, but a lot of students aren't reaching out to health services and they're not reaching out to health services because it doesn't say that they provide that service on their website. So I think like a lot of us, you know, we look, uh, we look at a provider and we see what does this person do? And if you don't see that service listed, you don't tend to call them and ask you Google because we live in the world where Google is <laughs> the source of all information. And when you start to Google, you find the nearest clinic and you go there. Um, this would actually, the bill would change that. You would be able to go into your health services, make an appointment, have the, take the first pill right there as would happen in any clinic or with any provider who, who offers this service, then you would take the second pill at home. I think that in the future, depending on what the Biden administration does, if they lift the restrictions on this pill, which again, are they're only for political reasons. They are not there for safety reasons. They're there for political reasons. And the Biden administration has indicated that they'd like to lift the restrictions. If that happens, then what we'll be asking the universities to do is even smaller. We'll be asking them to write a prescription mm -hmm. that students will be able to fill. And so that really will make abortion in the first 10 weeks, or, or and really I should say for, for people who want to have a medication abortion, this is always a choice, right? If you, you can choose what type of abortion you would like to have. And the, if you have underlying medical conditions, we, we've never asked the colleges to, you know, um, become a hospital. If there's someone who has severe underlying conditions, they would, of course, get the referral that they need. But what we're hoping this legislation will also do is make that a warm handoff. So if you go to health services right now, and you have a severe case of diabetes, and you need to get to a different provider and to a specialist, they tell you where to go. In the case of abortion, they give you a mimeographed sheet and say, call these people. But that's not a warm handoff. That doesn't feel great. That feels like, you know, you're doing something wrong and there's some stigma around this. That's not what healthcare should look like. And so this bill will fix that as well. It will make sure that, you know, abortion is healthcare. If you call health services, they can either provide it on campus or if your case is more complicated, if you're at 12 weeks instead of 10 and you need a different service, they will refer you to a real person to provide the care that you need. If people have not been following it, when you talk about the restriction on medication, just to unpack that, mifeprestone 
was approved by the Food and Drug Administration at the federal national level. So it's considered a drug that you can take, that it's safe. However, as you said, for political reasons, they picked it out of 20,000 drugs that they have approved. Mifepristone is the one that they are saying, you have to pick this up in person, yep. right? So it's really important for people to understand when we kind of talk about it, one out of 20,000 medications. And for example, Viagra is not considered one you have to pick up in person. And then also to unpack when you talked about safety, we learned in speaking with Maine Family Planning who are overseeing teleabortion uh, for people who are residing in Massachusetts that not only has mifepristone been studied and approved, but also there's, uh, there's other studies done, not even in America, England, other places have studied it and found it really has a very safe outcome rate. So. The fact that it has been put on this special list by the FDA is very much to uh, promote the stigma taboo and make it harder to access, period. And I'm sure it will come as no surprise to people listening, but Viagra is also far less safe um, than Mifepristone. So uh, once again, this is truly just a political issue. It is not, it has nothing to do with decisions based in science. So I have one question. Did you have any issues, any problems, any obstacles to make it go through? In the last session, the bill was filed and it may, it was sent to the public health committee. Um, it was reported out of public health in full. So there were no changes or additions made to the bill or, or deletions. Um, and then it went to healthcare finance, which um, was a difficult committee last session because um, as many will know, the chair of that committee left and then the vice chair of the committee left. And there was uh, some disagreement between the house and the Senate about how to proceed with legislation. So, um, we didn't actually fight particularly hard for this legislation last session, because as I told everybody, last session was the session of Roe. The priority was getting the Roe Act done, and that should have been everybody's focus, and that's where all the attention around reproductive um, health care rights needed to be. So we passed the Roe Act, which is great. Um, we didn't get everything that we wanted in that legislation, but we got an awful lot. And so I think this session, there is room for this bill. This bill, in many ways, is a much easier lift than the Roe Act. First of all, we're not changing any existing laws. Um, we're not adding any cost to the universities, which I think is enormous. Um, I think anyone in higher ed right now or who works near a town where there is a, an institution of higher education will tell you that they're going through very difficult financial periods with, with COVID and people having to be off campus and then coming back and testing and all of the, the various things that that entails. But this bill doesn't require the universities to spend anything. The medication is currently covered by every single health insurance plan offered on campus. If students have their parents or guardians health insurance, um, it's generally covered except for instances where a parent or guardian works for the federal government, um, uh, one of the Catholic hospitals or potentially through an ERISA plan, which is issued in another state um, that might have stricter, um, that might have frankly anti-choice laws around their health insurance coverage. So in those cases, there are thankfully in Massachusetts abortion funds that are willing to step up and provide this service um, and help with payment for that. But for the most part, this is just this is a cost free bill. We are in the legislation offering grants to schools. 
um, so that if they want to set up hotlines or if they need staff training or anything like that, they can get it. What we're finding though, in talking to the universities is that they hire good people. And we've, we've heard from many people who work at health services who said, yes, we can do this. We are trained to do this. We know how to do this. And that's, I think, in a very stark contrast to California, where some of the biggest obstacles they've faced, because of course we've been in touch with the legislators who filed the bill there, was really just about um, what it would look like at, uh, at a health service, at health services on campus, and then general misconceptions about what medication abortion looked like and what the pills did. Um, and, you know, we've, we've been saying to schools, and I think this was a compelling argument in California, and it's a compelling argument here, even if you have students who are going to Planned Parenthood to take the first pill, they are coming back to their dorms and taking the second one there. And it really is better and safer for everyone if the school knows what is happening um, and students know where to go to get follow-up care and follow-up care is not a two and a half hour bus ride away. Mm -hmm. That's right. I mean, the, th that trip is, you know, two ways you've got to go. You're not just missing school, but work and you are not nearby if you want to follow up in person. Right. When you talk a little bit about the experience of students on campus right now, it strikes me that for many of these younger people, it's their first time managing healthcare on their own. And you're right, they really, they look to that provider. So maybe they had a pediatrician at home who they used to go to, or maybe they didn't, but now here they are navigating on their own. And for many of them, it's gonna be the first time they have sex. And so the whole world of exploring their body, becoming pregnant, if they did not intend to become pregnant, it's quite a lot on their plate. And so I think you're, you're right when you describe what they want to do is be able to look up their university health provider. That's who they would trust in this new environment if they're living someplace new. What kind of feedback did you have from students and what drove you to actually file the legislation? So the feedback from students has been generally very positive. I mean, of course, there are there are always some students who are, are anti-choice and they don't want to see these things on campus. And I can appreciate that everyone makes a choice for their their own body and their own lives. But of course, that's that's the point. You get to choose. Um, and so and I, I've also I will say, though, it, very interestingly, I've had a few students who've said, oh, well, we already offer that on campus because they don't understand the difference between plan B and a medication abortion. Um, they're not the same things. And so that's been uh, a bit of a, a learning curve, I think, for some. But for the most part, students want access. They want autonomy. They want, just like you said, they're in college for the first time. They want to be able to head over to health services and ask for whatever they need and, and make those decisions and not, um, you know, not have obstacles thrown up in front of them at every turn and asking a student to leave campus, asking people to, you know, even to just get a referral to a local hospital. A medication abortion does not need to be provided in a hospital. I mean, it really, really doesn't. And COVID has really shown us, I think, above all that there's a lot of healthcare that doesn't need to be provided in person that you can do remotely. And, you know, if students choose to do this via telehealth, that that's, you know, their choice, but I think that they should have that reference on campus. And, uh, and so we're finding a lot of support. I mean, it's, it's difficult because you want to get all of the stories 
you know, from students who have had procedures and who have faced those difficulties because they're compelling. Um, at the same time, we're asking people in a way much like the ROW Act to share very private personal information and to feel comfortable sharing that with legislators. Um, so that's one of the organizing challenges that we are facing. However, we have some amazing student activists and advocates who have been so dedicated to help helping collect those stories, finding groups across the state who are willing to talk to us. I have a wonderful um, fellow, Julia, who's a UMass Amherst uh, graduate student, and she has been working on this bill kind of night and day for the last six months getting us ready. So going into this session, I feel like we've talked about to just about everybody that we could possibly talk to. You know, it's it's sort of like, well, how do we build the coalition as vastly and as broadly as we possibly can going in? So, you know, we've been reaching out to all of the campuses and having meetings with students and then talking to partners who might otherwise, you know, not be natural allies, people who focus on higher ed funding um, because they have a lot of students who are also interested in this. But I think we can all all remember from when we were that age, 18, 19, 20, 21, what you really want to be is treated like an adult and you want to be able to make decisions and you still need a little bit of help just making it easier, right? And that's what student health services should be doing. And luckily, it seems like that's the direction they're going in. And students need to know where to get the correct information. Right. And that's what they want first and foremost. They don't want to just drive into it blindly. So you mentioned that you're working on uh, building a coalition across the state with lots of dedicated advocates. How can we help support? How can people now? How how can people help support uh, this legislation? What are the what are the key links or websites that people can go to begin to learn about it um, and so forth? Well, I think that. Um you'll start to see information because Planned Parenthood um, and NARAL are both backing the legislation as one of their priorities this session. So very shortly, information will be available on their websites. I will also have information about the bill on my website, which is lindsaysepidosa.com. Um, and I think that we will be asking people primarily for testimony um, why is this legislation important and why should it move forward? Very hopeful that once we have committee assignments, um, we will know who the chairs are and we can start speaking with them and all of the committee members. We imagine it will have the same trajectory, public health to healthcare finance. Um, so our goal is to start early in talking to those people and we'll be sending, um, you know, if people sign up, we'll be sending updates um, via the, the website to tell them how to best advocate for this bill. Um, I want to, though, say one other thing, and I apologize for switching questions, but you said something that reminded me of a really important piece to this, Karen. Um, you had said, you know, students want the right information. When you have a bill that requires a warm handoff. So for example, a student goes into health services now, they're given that mimeograph sheet or they don't even go, they just go to online and start to look for information. Some of the places that they find online are not real pregnancy, not real clinics. They are fake crisis centers. They don't offer abortion. And in some areas of the state, there are more of these fake centers than there are real ones. Hmm. And so the real danger of not having that warm handoff or not offering the service right on campus is that you are inadvertently pushing students 
toward a fake pregnancy or a fake cri a crisis center. Mm -hmm. um, and that is something that we need to prevent. And we've had such a hard time in California is the example where we have tried to shut down these clinics and there's been this conversation around free speech and you can't just pass a bill to shut them down. But this bill will take away a huge part of their audience because you won't be looking via the internet. Your school will be telling you either providing the service right there or telling you where to go if you know you decide you want um, a non uh, non medication abortion. Thank you so much for bringing that out because the fake clinic uh, trap it's really a trap. They a dress trap. up. They dress up like clinics. And I know in my own community there was a you know we have a list serve where people ask questions and somebody wanted to know where to donate some old baby stuff. And then it led to a whole conversation with people understanding that's not actually, that's actually a fake clinic and people not understanding. And then when they finally all looked at the website and saw and started to understand, uh, they had a very different reaction. So you're right. Inadvertently, people need to know where to go. We definitely let listeners know that going to the Abortion Rights Fund of Western Massachusetts is a very safe place to go. Planned Parenthood, also a very safe place to go. Um, and they can they can give you clinics that are nearby if you're in Massachusetts and you're trying to find a, a provider who is real. Right. So thanks for bringing so that up. I just want to ask, since we are on this subject, is there any way for youngsters to find out clinic is not the real thing? Is there uh, something that tells you? So I think that if you are right now today, if you need to have an abortion and you are looking for a real clinic, the best place to go is to look at the maps that NARAL publishes. They show where the real clinics are. You can go to Planned Parenthood's website. They show you. I don't know. And I, I think there's been a lot of debate around whether or not to publish the location and names of the fake clinics. We also don't want to inadvertently give them uh, publicity. And we certainly don't want there to be any confusion for someone to say, oh, I went to a website and I found the name of this clinic because they didn't realize a box was checked and it's showing a fake clinic as opposed to a real one. So I, I know I've been part of that debate. I have helped with um, the secret shoppers to determine which clinics are actually fake. Um, but I think if you are listening to this and you need abortion care, um, Planned Parenthood and NARAL are the best sources of information. The Abortion Rights Fund of Western Massachusetts, the Jane Fund, the Emma Fund, none of them are going to steer you to the wrong place. Um, I think that you know you want to be talking to the people who do this work day in, day out, and those are five resources in this state that are very, very safe. Unfortunately, your provider should always be able to give you this information. And we hear anecdotally that some providers do not. So I would still say over and over, NARAL, Planned Parenthood, or any of the three abortion funds in the state. Another way to help out is just to share the information from this podcast, because you're hearing from Representative Sabadosa, who's spent considerable time doing the research to understand the problem, and then also to draft legislation to actually help improve the situation. So if you hear this and you pass it on to a friend, often word of mouth is a really good way to empower people. Some people are just too shy, afraid, nervous to ask, but if you send this information out to people you know in the sort of college age community, it's a great way for people to listen in private and become informed. Right. 
And really it helps reduce stigma too. I, mean, they, I think that's one of the biggest issues that people are afraid to ask. They're afraid of being judged. You know, we need to make abortion something that we talk about. It's just part of our healthcare system. We talk about hip replacements and uh, dialysis and medication for whatever. Those are all things that we do talk about. Abortion is part of that. It's, this is not different. This is just another procedure and it is totally, it should be totally safe to communicate that. And non-political. And non-political, thank you. We don't want to be political, but also thinking a little bit and being really straightforward. People in colleges become pregnant for a wide range of reasons. Some have had consensual sex and they were not planning to become pregnant and either had a contraceptive fail or they didn't understand how to use it properly. But we do have a problem with rape on campus in America and that problem is not easily addressed. Um, it needs to be addressed and we have a lot of people working on ending rape on campus. But for anyone who's listening in that situation, it's really important to know that things that are not your fault, you do not have to continue to be punished by. And so we want to make sure you get healthcare that you need and any other mental health care that you would need in that situation. It's really important. So thank you, Representative Sabadosa, for coming on. The time goes very quickly, but getting the information right from you when you drafted the legislation is very helpful. And thank you for doing this. Thank you for bringing it back this session. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a good rest of your day. Stay safe in the snow. <laughs> thank you, you too. You too, Bye. thank you very much. Bye. 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 Bye.